0: On this solemnity of Christ our King, I want to speak about a specific woman who lived out the message of Christ's kingship reigning in her life in a very unique way. Her name was Luis Picareta. She's a servant of God and she has the cause of canonization right now in process, so she hasn't been declared a, even a blessed yet, let alone a saint, but I think her life deserves some merit and conversation on this day. Uh, She lived from the 1800s into the 1900s in Italy. She was a victim soul, so someone who offered themselves their suffering, especially in their own body, for the salvation of souls, conversion of sinners, and for grace upon the church. She was bedridden for 64 years. Never get out of bed. Um, Just a very quiet life of suffering. And basically how it worked was, every morning she woke up in a totally rigid state. She couldn't move, and usually her body is sitting up and turned to the right. And she couldn't move until a priest came to her house and gave her a blessing, and then her body relaxed. And when I first read that, my first thought was, "Sounds like she's just seeking attention." And then the next line I read in the article I was reading said, "Many priests thought she was just seeking attention." And I was like, oh. <laughs> "Even worse, they refused to bless her because of it." And she remained in rigor mortis for 20 years. That's tenacity, you know? I mean, after like 10 years, I would've been like, even if you are faking it, you deserve a blessing at this point. But um, some didn't seem worthy of it, so she waited 20 years at one point without receiving any blessing from a priest and just in a total rigor mortis state and totally conscious too. So every morning after that though, a priest would come and give her a blessing and she'd be able to move in the bed and knit and most of all write. And she wrote about what's called the kingdom of the divine will. And basically her, her day began at 5 a.m. The priest would come, bless her, they celebrate Mass. She'd spend a couple hours in prayer, and then she had to work for rent, so she would knit, just do a lot of humble knitting in her bed. And then around 8 p.m. to midnight. That's when she would just do a lot of her writing in her diary, and that's where a lot of the sources are taking from, which we'll be talking about today. She'd fall asleep at that point, and then she'd wake up totally rigid once and again, and another priest would have to come and bless her before she could begin her day. But her book, Kingdom of the Divine Will, explains kind of an... In a very encompassing way, the whole movement of the spiritual life, which is that God should reign over our wills. And that's what determines everything we become in life. Not so much what we say, you know, but the choices that we make. You know, the entire mission of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth was to include us in the will of his Father. And the entire life of Christ, what does he talk about? Over and over again. The Son came to carry out the mission that he was sent to accomplish. The Son can do nothing but the the will of the one who sent him. So Jesus' entire life on earth was to remain in the will of his Father, wherever that took him. And oftentimes that took him in contradiction, even with the closest people in his life, the disciples, the apostles, people he loved, But his principal goal at every moment, Father, what are you asking me to do and to remain in that will? And that is because if we look at the fall, the essence of the fall where all sin began and put us in the state of exile was the Garden of Eden when we chose to disobey God's commandment. That's what the tree of life represents, that we disobeyed God. Eve chose to obey the serpent over God, and Adam chose to obey his wife over God. I'm sure no husband has that battle in his own life, you know. But Father Hardin, John Hardin, once said that every woman, women are tempted by the serpents within themselves, men are primarily tempted by the women in their lives. I'm not looking at any women when I say that. <laughs> so, but each is, in our own way, is tempted to obey creature over creator. And every single one of us, the most precious thing in our lives, regardless of your gender, is our own will. That's the most intimate thing in our life, is doing our own will. And that's exactly where Christ came to redeem us. And uh, Sister or Luisa Picaretta, what she said is that there's been three fiats in the history of creation. The fiat of, of creation, where God said, let there be light, let there be man, um, let it be, that's fiat. Then the fiat of Mary at the Annunciation, when the angel came to her and her response was, fiat mihi secundum verguntum, let it be done to me according to your word. She was obedient and received God's invitation and the fiat of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this chalice away from me. Fiat voluntas tua. Non mihi, but let your will be done, and not my will. That's why they say we were we were we fell through a woman. We were redeemed through a woman. We fell through the no of a man, and we were redeemed through the yes of a man. The whole reason Jesus Christ became God became man in Christ was so that He could say yes within us to God's will. That's why all of redemption happened in the garden. So Jesus once said to Louisa, I told you many times that the mission of calling a soul to live in my will is the greatest one of all. It is the highest and most sublime call. There is no other call that can match it. That our whole goal in our life is to become one with God's will for us at every moment. And when God, when St. Catherine of Siena was writing in her diary, her dialogues with God the Father, she asked, what does it mean to be in a state of spiritual union, spiritual marriage with the divine? And the Father said, I call that soul another me, because my will is so united with her will, the will of the soul, that we are one. So just as it was disobedience that led us away from God, it's obedience to the will of God in our own lives that brings about redemption in ourselves and in everybody who is united to us. So I can't really speak to the veracity of her writings themselves. They're still being examined by Rome. I've heard there's some theological problems in in some things, but if you're writing for five hours every single day for 60 some years, you're gonna make some mistakes. I just hope Rome never listened to my homilies, because I would definitely end up on the blacklist. So that's not really as important to me as her life. Because to me, the greatest testimony of a human being is not so much what they say or write, but how they live. And she lived a very humble and obedient life. A little bit about what happened to her. In 1938, she was publicly disowned by Rome and her books were put on the blacklist and she was in a convent at that time and so when her books were condemned the convent didn't want anything to do with her and so they asked her to leave and she had to go back to her home she ended up losing everything that she had um, especially in being in a community of nuns all seeking to please God and she accepted everything. She didn't fight. She didn't get on Twitter and Facebook and rebel against the church. She just said, if this is God's will for me, and that's the hardest place to find God's will for us. It's in the place of suffering. It's always in the place of our suffering, of our limitations. That's where we're tempted to try to strive for control, right? And that's why surrender to God's will is really the essence of our faith. Learning to say yes in that crossroads of our life, of our heart. One wrote, one priest said, the definition of the cross is when our horizontal will intersects with God's vertical will. And we take up the cross by saying yes to what he reveals to us. So same thing with St. Padre Pio. St. Padre Pio was a priest who had the stigmata, lost over a pint of blood every day, could see angels and demons, Three-hour-long masses because he could see the Eucharist transforming into the actual body and blood of Christ on the altar. Could all these miracles of healings came from? That's not why he's a saint. Saint Padre Pio is a saint because at one point the church said, You are not allowed to do anything public until we say so. At the height of his fame, and for ten years he was silent. He did nothing. That was why he was a saint. He was humble and he was obedient. And God knows that we need these tests in our life because pride is so strong in our hearts to choose our own way, to do our own will, especially when we think it's for our holy cause. The greatest temptation of saints, of holy people, is pride. Because the more you see the good, the more we want to grasp after it. And yet, when the church says you can go this far and no further, that's where we learn the obedience of Jesus Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary, to surrender our wills. And that's exactly what Louisa Picaretta did. So just at the end of her life, though, after living in this state of paralysis and prayer and humility, um, she died the very morning a priest came and gave her a blessing. At the exact same time at 5 a.m., priest was coming to her house every single day for 20 some years. And right when he showed up at 5 a.m. to give her that blessing, that's when she breathed her last breath. Um, she was viewed for four days in, in procession, people just coming through a very public uh, saint of that time. And she remained in that same rigor mortis position. Like they could never um, actually lay out her body because she was sitting upright um, and so they even had to make her a special casket that could be put into the ground of her sitting up straight. And her cause for beatification uh, was begun by Archbishop Carmelo Cassati on the Feast of Christ the King in 1994. So I can't say that her writings are perfect, but they're definitely in the right direction as far as the essence of the spiritual life. But most of all, she lived it. And that's how we judge people, it's how they live their lives. And she was a very holy and humble woman. And she really takes us to the goal of Christ's kingship. When we talk about Christ's reign, it's not about reigning in politics, although that would be very helpful for the rest of us. It's not about reigning over other people. It's about not even reigning perfectly over the church, which is always going to have its problems. The place that Christ wants to reign in our life is in every single one of our hearts. Whose will do we obey in the end? The one we most love. When you think about the choices you make, all of us often think about when you're doing it because you love somebody who wants you to do that thing. And a lot of times that can be my own self-love. It's just something I want. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will do my will. He's not saying a conditional statement like, prove that you love me by doing my will. He's saying, if you truly love me, you will want to do my will. Because the one we most love, we choose the will of that person. You know, I used to think that the greatest miracle on this earth was the Holy Eucharist. Pretty amazing. God becoming God transforming bread and wine into his own body, blood, soul, and divinity in every single mass. But a thought hit me the other week when I was celebrating mass. It's easy. Me as a priest, every single time I breathe those words over bread and over wine, they become the body and blood of Christ perfectly and instantaneously with no more effort than a simple word. The greatest miracle in the world is not that, in my opinion, anymore. The greatest miracle in the world is that good thief who converted at the end of his life. The greatest miracle is every individual human being who hears the word of God, receives the word of God, and is able to surrender their life to his word working upon them. Because bread and wine aren't going to fight back against my word as a priest. They're not gonna deny the word of Christ, but we as human beings can. That's why St. Augustine said the greatest event in the history of the world isn't the, the creation, goes, there's more of a miracle in the conversion of one sinner than the creation of the world. Because every single one of us can choose to say yes or choose to say no to God at every moment of our life. And that's what we're striving for. That's why the first prayer we pray right after the consecration of the Holy Eucharist and before we receive it is the Our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I invite us all to kneel down at this point point as I'm going to go forward and bless these images of the sacred heart of Jesus.